the rodeo adventure labs podcast i don't even want to call this a comeback this is i i hope it's a comeback but it's been many months since i've said those words uh so i'm really excited to be back at least for today and and see where it goes hopefully we can find a rhythm but i'm joined today by steven my co-host and scotty lechuga uh, and today we're obviously going to talk bikes uh and and learn a little bit more about scotty but steven i'll let you take it away yeah, I feel like we owe everyone an explanation. <laughs> Where did we go? I think it's been six to eight months since the podcast has not been casting. Uh, Signals are down. <laughs> what happened? We got we got more busy, always more busy, uh, and then um, we're a little we're a lot little short staffed, so everybody is doing more here right now for the time being. Although we we're pretty close to solving that, and um, Nick who has always been deeply embedded in rodeo, uh, moved from the third floor um, guard tower position uh, where he was living to uh, home ownership and now is many, many miles away. So we can't just fire up the podcast as easily as we used to. Now we have to schedule it and send each other calendar <laughs> invites. So formal. Yep. Anyway, but this is good because now we've broken the seal. That's uh, like the emergency glass on the podcast has been broken and I'm sure we'll just get a groove again. I'm not. I'm not as hedged as you are. Like we're back. Okay. It might be when, like, when Michael Jordan came out of retirement, and everyone was like, "No, you need to stay retired." But that's okay too. So we're here with Scotty, <laughs> with you guys. Hey um, everyone. <laughs> gosh, all right. Big intro. Uh, so I've always had in the back of my mind, to, like, we need to do a Scotty intro, but I feel like we hadn't earned it yet on our side. Because no. we hadn't gotten you your bike yet, but um, <laughs> we need to, we need to do some background. Uh, I first talked to you um, actually a couple years ago, uh, right during the COVID thing was beginning, and, and you mm-hmm. were sort of building uh, natural state up, um, which we'll explain in a minute. Uh, and and you said, hey, we need to build a demo fleet, and I said. I would love to be a part of that, but we don't have any bikes. Um, and then yeah. we weren't able to continue talking for another year or so. Uh, and then you pop back up in October, November, maybe. Is yeah. That was uh, fresh off of high country race. Yeah. And really? uh, I was like, wait a minute. I've heard Scotty's name. We've, we've talked before. And oh, of course she just won this thing, which was mind blowing. And, um, and then we spent some time, you know, starting from scratch kind of in December, so, uh, and which will bring us at some point to where we are now. But Scotty, I think everybody needs to be introduced to a little bit about you and where you come from and how you sort of came into bikes and then not just bikes, but um, now, now you're into sort of ultra endurance. And I, I think there's a big backstory here. Yeah. And I think I need to be, I know a little bit of it because, you know, we hung out for a few days, but um, I think you know, do, do, names appear like, hey, there's this new person that's doing amazing things. But often, I mean, people do this with rodeo. They're like, wow, where'd you guys come from? And I'll be like, well, 
we've been here for eight years. You, <laughs> so I have a feeling you didn't just appear. You've been yeah. here for a while working really hard. Um, so tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about background. Yeah, I'll try and keep it, you know, succinct. But basically, I come from a pro road background. And I raced professionally on the road, got to travel internationally to some of the um, coolest races, like the Women's Tour de France and the Giro Rosa, and did some really amazing stuff with road racing. And um, did that for about six or seven years. And had a good run there, but towards the end of my uh, road career, I I really just got burnt out and was um, putting a lot of mental strain on myself, a lot of pressure to perform, um, and I wasn't really meeting my own expectations. And so I was kind of looking to find myself in results. And when those results weren't there, I really was just struggling with identity and uh, performance anxiety and a bunch of stuff that really caused me to just want to retreat from the sport altogether. And initially, that's what I did. I actually broke a team contract in 2018, stepped away from the road, you know, pretended like I didn't want to race anymore, um, didn't ride a bike for like five or six weeks, I think. But I knew in my heart that I didn't really handle that the way that I that I should or that I wanted to and that I really do love cycling. I just kind of needed to redefine my relationship with it. And so... Um, Throughout my road career, you know, I'd I'd struggled with what a lot of people would refer to just as mental toughness, like getting over these barriers of, um, like I said, a little bit of performance anxiety. I used to deal a lot with nerves um, and get really stressed uh, about racing, which is silly because it's just bicycles, right? But we we make it important. You know, it's important to us to do our best and to show up our best selves. And so... Um, removing myself from that really gave me the scope to say, okay, I really put my emphasis in the wrong place here. And it's really not about the results. It's more about the growth. It's about the process and the journey and who I'm becoming through this whole, this whole experience with bicycles. I've met some of the coolest people in the world. I've traveled some of the best places in the world that you could ever ride a bike. And I'm so fortunate to have those experiences. And when I started reframing that in terms of not what I got out of results and in, in the sport, but what I was given by the sport, it really helped me to look at it and say, there's really no ceiling here. Like there's no need to perform and then be on this false high and then just lose that again, only to try and do it again the next weekend. It's like, that's silly. Um, I realized that the cycling had, had, it's really a lifestyle that I love. It's something that I fell into because it really catered to something inside me that wanted to explore, that wanted to um, build community, that there were so many things outside of performance that um, I'd closed my eyes to. And so pulling away really helped me redefine myself in the sport in a much healthier mindset and a much healthier frame, you know, framework. And so around the time that I decided, okay, I really do love bikes. I really I love competing. It's part of my DNA. You know, it's not all about the results, but I do love pushing myself. I I had found out about Silk Road Mountain Race, and this was in 2019. I just met Jay Peter very earlier that year. It used to be called Land Run. Now it's Mid-South. And I like side tackled Jay because I was so excited to meet him. He was like, I was like fangirling Jay hard. And, uh, he uh, had just one Silk Road. And so I was like, Jay, I'm signed up for Silk Road. 
what do I need to do? <laughs> He's like, well, what are you currently doing? And I was like, I'm crit racing. <laughs> <laughs> So he's wow, like, so well, like one hour, you know, what yeah, is that versus, efforts, you know, right? two weeks. And so corners, <laughs> slick tires. And he's like, what do you have for your um, bike packing setup? It's like, I'm um, working on that. And so anyway, we went up to CJ that summer, Ernie and I, my husband, Ernie, and I did Silk Road as a pair. And Jay really helped us um, kind of get our feet on the ground in terms of what it meant to do a an event like Silk Road Mountain Race because we had no idea. We'd never done mountaineering really or had been true like outdoor campy type people. And um, Silk Road changed Ernie and me like for life. That experience of being out there self-supported in some of the most remote, beautiful, like tough <laughs> very harsh at times conditions, um, we came home just like completely different and, and with a different um, outlook on what we wanted to share through our cycling journey. So that really helped us reframe how we wanted to coach. It helped us reframe ourselves. Um, it became so much more a part of um, cycling for adventure and for fulfillment just within ourselves versus like the routine and the performance and the, the races. And so it was very good for us. And it just kind of kicked off this, um, this new push to just explore our own limits within ourselves, build the community while we're doing it, you know, share the journey, share the stoke of what that feels like to be out there on a bike. And, um, yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Um, I have kids. <laughs> How many? I have two, I have twin boys. They're 10 years old. Uh, Ethan and Eli and uh, they're awesome and they're a huge part of everything but I sometimes feel like you know I get started on bikes and I'm like um by the way like my number one job is I'm a mom <laughs> so that is no small amount of juggling yeah yeah are they um are ahead. they are they aware that their mom is like Wonder Woman and their dad's Superman and not at all and I want to keep it that way <laughs> <That's great. laughs> they uh they're so cute they um they watch, you know, if I'm racing, they'll dot watch and uh, they'll tune in for like, you know, 20 seconds. So I'd be like, oh, she moved. Great. All right. Back to what we're doing, you know. So it's very uh, they're so used to it. You know, when they were little, we bought an RV and we took them to all my cycling races so that we could do it as a family. And I homeschooled for a bit um, just so that we could all be like exploring cycling on the road together and it was a really cool time in our lives and so I think they just equate like mom and dad do bikes that's that's just what they do it's what they've always done and uh both of them ride too so we're trying not to be too uh too gung-ho with them keeping it fun and just um letting them kind of explore their own identity through bikes nice so I don't know you're crit racing and then you jump into (laughs) <laughs> what is to some people i don't know i don't know what the limit is on silk road but i feel like it's a two-week experience and maybe for some yes. people a three-week experience uh yeah. did you just yeah. just cannonball into the deep end and say mm-hmm. i'm a i'm an ultra endurance athlete now uh and <laughs> and wow that worked out pretty well um like how do you make a transition that big how do you well i went in with I was so innocent in terms of the environment that I was about to step in. 
And I think that was a, a good thing and a bad thing. It was a good thing because I had no expectations. I didn't know how bad I was about to hurt. <laughs> like, I didn't know how I was going to get stuck in a blizzard in the middle of the night. Like none of that stuff ever crossed my mind, even though Nelson Trees, the organizer, spells all of it out very clearly in your application. He asks you, what do you do if blah? And all of those things happen in the race. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I did fall in a river when it was like 30 degrees outside. Like all these things happen. And so, um, I was so blind to all the perils, but at the same time, it was good because I had no expectations of myself other than I knew I wanted to finish that bike race. And it was so much less of a bike race and more of a personal challenge just to see that through. And so, um, yes, we did dive straight into the deep end, but the whole push towards that event was I had a coach tell me towards the end of my, psych my road career when I was already kind of cracking mentally she told me, you're just not mentally tough enough yet. Ooh. And at the moment, I was so not ready to hear that. And I'm very unreceptive to that feedback. But deep down, I knew that there was a piece of me that really did need to learn to struggle a little bit more. And so I actually entered Silk Road, um, bringing Ernie along, of course, for the, for the ride and for support. But um, I entered it because I wanted to find that mental toughness. And so I literally went there just saying to myself, no matter how hard it gets, I'm going to see this through. And that's really become kind of um, like how I approach everything now. Um, I don't really care about the results or the FKTs or the it's fun to win. Everyone loves to win, of course. But um, I'm there to just see it through because I, that's the awesome thing about these bike pack races is that every single person there will come out with a story, whether they were the first one or the last one or the one who couldn't finish even. They have this radical story of something that happened to them. And I feel like every single person that I've talked to has some sort of trans transformational <laughs> or transformative, sorry, that's a better word, transformative experience um, within the body of these cycling events. And that's what's so special about them. I think that's what makes it feel like a family you know, when you get to the finish line and everyone has something to share or celebrate or commiserate, or you know, yeah. it's so cool. I, I imagine there's a lot of team dynamics in crit racing, but then to go from that to racing as a pair, mm -hmm. you know, how, how was that? Because it, maybe it's less about just you kind of finding your mental toughness, but also then working together with Ernie, right? Like of, yeah you know, I'm sure that was a very different experience. Yeah, it is. And it, it's funny to do something like that with your spouse. Um, I feel like we are so much more dysfunctional at home than we are <laughs> out there because it felt like every decision really mattered. Um, when we were doing Silk Road, like, uh, decisions were kind of critical. Like you would get yourself into these pickle situations. Like you'd be too high altitude to stop, but it's nighttime and there's a weather system coming. And the two of you have to sit there and like make a quick decision. And we can't even do that on a daily basis at home, you know, <laughs> but we work together really well. And, um, it is kind of fun going, I, I'm glad I've gotten to experience the team environment of a road racing team. It's really cool to propel a group of people towards a result. And that's been really fun. I've raced with Ernie as a pair several times. It's been really good for our relationship. And we always come away learning a lot about each other and a lot about ourselves. 
And then now I've had the opportunity to do two endurance races on my own. And I've learned a lot from that too. Like there's so many cool applications um, that I've taken away from just all the experiences that I've had through cycling. What's it like? What's the difference like racing only yourself versus racing Mm -hmm. tethered to someone else? Um, Yeah. I actually have been physically tethered to Ernie several times. (laughs) (laughs) You were towing Um, him, right? (laughs) That's yeah. Um, when you race as a pair, the difficult part is your partner might need something when you don't need it or vice versa. It's either, um, maybe they have a mechanical and your bike is fine, but clearly you're going to stop, right? You, you help each other. And, um, when you have two people, you kind of have twice as many problems, really like your, your stuff might, uh, fail or even like bathroom breaks, like they never time, right? Like one of you needs to stop and the other one doesn't. And, um, one of you's tired when the other one isn't like one person will want to keep on pushing through the night where the other one might be like, I'm exhausted. I got to stop now. And so syncing all that up and being forgiving towards each other when you don't exactly have the same, maybe circadian rhythm or whatever it is. Um, it teaches you a lot about being flexible and adaptive as a partner. And I think it's a good thing for people to, to try that and to learn that patience. Um, and then racing, Solo, I mean, the other side of that coin is you're completely alone. Like, you have no one to process things with. You're not like, I mean, I talk to myself, but that's that's when I get delirious. And, like, the part, you know, Ernie, he pulled me out of some deep holes in Silk Road. And when you're out there by yourself, you've, you've got to really look inside deep to be able to pull yourself out of those holes by yourself. And so there's something really cool about both. And I think it's worth exploring, you know, both scenarios if you have that opportunity. Nick, will you, will you be my race boo? And we can, (laughs) I thought you'd never ask, you know, I I feel like when it has come up, I feel like you said you've never wanted to race a pair for exactly what Scotty just said. (laughs) But because I want to be the person who has a meltdown without having to worry about annoying the person who's feeling fine when I have my meltdown. I I feel like that would be even more pressure for me to to be okay and then not be able to admit to myself and them that I'm not okay. Whereas if Mm -hmm. I'm just alone, then it's like, you know, there's no one to disappoint. And that's probably one of the main drivers of when I get out. I've only done one endurance race like that. Um, But I just was like... I just don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to let myself down. And so the mm-hmm. idea that you're constantly with someone that you might let down, kind of intense. But I do think it's inevitable that I'm going to need to do a pairs race and probably with Nick too, because we've spent a lot of time <laughs> riding together. So we can yeah. read each other pretty well. Um, yeah. we've done Communication probably. is so key though. Even if I feel like if you're not married, if it's just like the two of you going out, like keeping the line of communication clear is so imperative to doing it well yeah so did you i mean you came you came from this other format and and you got into you know this bike packing ultra endurance and then voila it turns out you're really good at it uh was that fun uh was that like kind of like a new you know page you know you turn the page and you go wow i'm clicking with this um yeah i mean and i i think what it's What's been so fun for me is it's become like an alternative way to express myself through cycling. 
Like I took the power meter off. I don't look at numbers. Um, I just ride. And I know myself really well because for like a decade, I spent time with a power meter and a heart rate monitor and cadence and all these applications and tools that are great for growth. Like they're really good. And I'm a coach and I actually recommend those to all of our athletes. I'm like, this is how we measure growth. It, they're awesome for that. And I, I still do measured growth things from time to time. But in general, I've kind of um, loosened myself from those training parameters Um with the expressed intent of just finding freedom on the bike. Um, do you guys know who Courtney DeWalter is? She's an ultra runner, a crazy, amazing ultra runner. I'm familiar with her, but not. I have yeah. never met her. Yeah, I, um, I was listening to a podcast with Courtney and Rich Roll, and he was asking her, like, how do you, how do you train? And she's like, I just run how I feel. He's like, every day? And she says, yes. And, um, I think that's brave, you know, to be, to be an athlete that isn't confined to numbers. It's hard. Like I, I, I was the person that stared at my head unit for, you know, three or four hours at a time. And it's really easy to get sucked into that lifestyle. And yes, there's an application for that, but there's also a need to like, remember that the wind is in your face and you're in nature. And like, there's so much other stuff that, being on a bike, um, can show you. And so unattaching from the traditional sense of training for me has been very good lately. And I go ride by feel. And if I want to push that day, I'll push that day. If I'm not feeling it, then I don't. And I just ride to ride. And so, um, it's become much more unstructured and a little more forgiving of the other stresses that I have in my life. Like I have a lot going on outside of just being on the bike, you know, I've got two businesses. Um, we started a nonprofit junior development cycling team this year, and then I've got my family. And so it's like, you're, you're when developing I'm on the bike, multiple layers of juniors, your own, yeah. jun- your, 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 your family, <laughs> junior development and your, yeah. your racers. Yeah. And so it's for me to get on the bike and not enjoy it at this point, I'm 39 years old. Like, what am I trying to do here if I'm not going to enjoy my time? So, um, it's really flipped for me in a healthy way. Wow, that's cool. That's it's good mm-hmm. to hear because I don't know. I I I made it all the way. That's a self-deprecating comment to Cat Three when I was a <laughs> road racer, and then my friends would keep going into the twos and ones, and I don't think I yeah. knew, knew anybody who made it to pro. But I I, st- I stopped to the point maybe of like maybe I should, I don't know. Anyway. Um, and I just thought I knew that if I made it to two, I wouldn't like the sport anymore. Um, and mm. then one, uh, and then I saw all my friends make it to two, and then one, and then get blown up by all these truly gifted human beings that were just better. And then they were gone. Um, or even the pros that I was around and would work with every once in a while, um, as soon as they were sort of done with their team contract with their pro Connie team. They were gone and out of the sport, and it's like, and there's nothing wrong with that, but they were like, all right, now I'm into real estate or whatever the thing would be. And and a lot of them just gave up on bikes, period. So they just mm-hmm. sh- they burned really bright, they made it really high, and then they yeah. were gone. And I, and I think I stopped where I stopped. Obviously, natural ability, you can only really do what you can do, but then this awareness of, I just want to like this for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. I feel like if I get too good or try too hard to get better, 
it'll be diminishing returns and then I'll just be fried and that'll be the end of the sport. And it's cool to hear that you got to a point of burnout and sort of maybe disillusionment, but then you were able to detach from that and reinterpret it, remix it, uh, find a new way to, to be with yourself. And then mm-hmm. and even, I don't know, I don't know if it's more successful. I don't know if, how you measure these things, but like, it's this whole exciting new chapter, a really interesting new story on the other side of it. So yeah. it's cool. The, I, I think you just use a great word detach. And for me, I think where the success comes from is detaching. I did this thing and I deserve this thing. Like that was me for years. I trained hard. I put in the time I deserve results. And that is not true. <laughs> like that's really not true in anything we do in life. We, um, yes, we deserve good things. But it's not true that you're going to get a certain thing for having done this other thing. Yeah, it, it doesn't always follow. In this sport where there are 100 or 200 other people that also did the thing and put mm-hmm. in the time. And mm-hmm. only one of them can be celebrated as the person. <laughs> you know, yeah. you did the thing better than everyone. And everyone else has to deal with varying levels of disappointment. And probably number two is the most disappointed person. Like number mm-hmm. 134th, they're probably like, yeah, I know. I knew I wasn't going to win. But number two, man, yeah. you just missed it. I can't, that's pressure. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, well, uh, so you, I mean, how many, how many ultra or endurance types of events do you have under your belt at this point? Not that many, actually. Um, so we've done Silk Road. We we tried to do Atlas Mountain Race in 2020 before COVID exploded. And Ernie and I made some terrible equipment choices and had just a very bad uh, tire um, blowouts. Like all four of them were disintegrated by the finish. Or we didn't get to finish. Um, that was a major bummer. Um, and then we've done the high country. I've done it twice with Ernie the full loop. And then I've done it once by myself. Um, and then I just did stagecoach and that's it. Wow. Yeah. So not many, not many, but they've all been like really, I mean, Morocco's interesting just because that's a massive learning experience and, you know, yeah. packed into a single race, like never going to yeah. do that again. Um, so even that's important, but then mm-hmm. you did, Arkansas with Ernie. I know at least one of the times, and maybe both, you were like, let's go set an FKT. Um, yeah. And you just crushed it with him. And mm-hmm. that was pretty amazing. Did you do that both times? Or was one a scouting time and the other one was the FKT? Or were they both just like, how fast can we go? We we challenged ourselves. We pushed ourselves on both. Um, the first time we did it, um, we'd heard about the route before we even really knew we were going to do Silk Road. And we got back from that. And we're like, we have this amazing thousand mile course in our backyard, literally. Why don't we go train on that and like practice some of the things that we learned and want to get better at? And so the first time we did it, um, we just kind of went out with what we knew and pushed ourselves. The second time, a year later, we're like, okay, now we've done it once. We know where we would make some changes and some improvements, and we know the gear that we really need. Now let's go as fast as we can. And so that was that was really fun. Ernie and I went pretty deep on that uh, second run, and we were able to break five days. And um, that was that was hard. Like, we were both uh, completely maxed out on that one. For five days. <laughs> That's yeah. incredible. Uh, and then you you went back alone 
Uh, mm-hmm. So there's an interesting aside there because uh, sometimes I feel like the the best, the easiest, my favorite time I write something is the first time because then the second time or even the third time or whatever, I now know how hard it is and mm-hmm. that's more of a mental block for me. But mm-hmm. it doesn't appear to be that way with you. You're like, yeah, let's go back and smash it again. Oh, now I'm going to do a third time um, and also <laughs> smash it. Like So you clearly have a gear in your head that or a response to you know adversity that, that's totally different from, from how well, I do it. For me, I knew I wanted to try racing solo, but I had some major fears like to overcome. Um, for one, I've, I'd never worked on my bike. Like when I was a professional, Ernie either took care of it or my team mechanic took care of it. And I was flying in and out of places and I didn't touch the bike. The team mechanic would build it and have it ready for me to ride. I'd have a spare bike if something broke. Like it was so hands off that I never, I hardly ever even washed my bike. And so I just rode it. And I had to go from, from that kind of princess you know, <laughs> lifestyle to, okay, if something breaks, like it's on me, I need to know how to fix it. And so 2021, I, I literally told Ernie, um, start messing with my bike, make things go wrong so that I need to fix them. Like, don't go crazy. But, um, he would start doing little stuff and I would come out and I would notice something was wrong. And then he'd be like, figured out that probably wasn't the best thing for our marriage i'm just saying that didn't always go over so great do you do that in the house as well um just like the sink won't work and the dryer won't be hooked up and it's blowing hot air (laughs) i'd kill him but um so that was one major hurdle um and i i still have a lot to learn there but i've i've mastered what i would consider the basics and like just at Stagecoach 400, my freaking chain snapped. Like I've ridden for 10 years and I've never had a chain snap like that. And I'm like, why now? And it was probably race. a new chain, I'm guessing, or I don't know. It was fairly new. It was just a freak thing. And um, luckily, uh, Ernie had taught me how to break a chain and how to set a quick link. And it, it was fine. And I took care of it. And it feels so good to know like how to fix your shit. Yeah. <laughs> and to have some autonomy there i think especially being like the women's community needs to support each other a little more in that in my opinion just so we have um a little more independence and feeling of confidence there but um the other thing that i was super scared of was um dogs Mm. and i've i've actually been uh tackled to the ground by a dog and then bitten while i was on the ground by that dog um and i had a pretty aggressive you know, dog incident here in Arkansas. And so being out there by myself, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to have a legit strategy for this and, you know, not let my fear keep me from doing this thing. Um, and I got chased by a lot of dogs. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's a real thing here in Arkansas to be, uh, what's your <laughs> out strategy? I feel like I'm still gathering dog strategies. So like, <laughs> I'm going to drop any pro tips. We had some experiences in Armenia, so for we're still gathering was- them. It was the water bottle in the face. Um, I kept a water bottle just for dogs. It was totally worth carrying that extra weight the Mm. whole thousand miles. Um, Mm. I would keep it topped off and I would either like stuff, I would suffer in dehydration to have that dog bottle ready to go. (laughs) But um, for me, that would work the best um, to just spray them when they got close and then sprint. And uh, 
luckily i never had anything major happen they back off with a little water i mean this is new to me i'm I'm learning something very important yeah so you have to let them get like you're building your speed you know as they're coming you're like already sprinting i grab the bottle and wait till they get close and you give them like a big hard squeeze of that water right in the face and it just stops them in their tracks and they just start shaking their face and they're stunned and enough for you to get away with you know with time so, um, <laughs> I'm going to, that's a pro tip for me. <laughs> yeah. I tried the like sound horns. I never tried spray the, pe- I've never tried pepper spray or anything like that, but I did try the noisemakers and I had mixed. Yeah. <laughs> mixed not so results. great. <laughs> but, um, so I was like, you know, if I am going to try racing solo, at least I can do it on a course that I'm pretty well acquainted with. And so I, I think third time was a charm. I think I'm done. With okay. the high country, you can oh, quote me. I'm on gonna that. bleep that out. I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll edit that part out. I know. Um, I I know it pretty well now, so I'm ready for some new challenges. Yeah, there's a lot of world out there. I think three goes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, having some Need some new new roads. Yeah. Well, yeah. so I mean, I know you were you were, I guess, signed up from Morocco. That got moved again for understandable mm-hmm. reasons. Uh, and then yeah. you were you were we looking for something. We haven't finished business there. Right. We really we really want to go back. Um, so you were on the hunt for mm-hmm. what's it going to be? Well, you did, um, fat pursuit. Oh yeah. I feel fat like pursuit. it's like a yeah. whole other thing. Uh, cause it's yeah. this discipline. I don't you know. think of it as an ultra cause it's only like 160 miles, but it is a long 160 miles. Yeah. 160 miles are riding through concrete. Um, uh, wet, wet, wet pavement. Um, yeah. so you did that in January. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah, you went up and did a camp again to learn, skills mm-hmm. uh got yeah. educated about being outside at negative whatever um mm-hmm. and you made it right yeah yeah camp was actually harder than the race in terms mm-hmm. of cold temperatures um the first night i was thinking jay was gonna like go soft on us because it was negative 20 oh wow <laughs> and uh not jay like jay doesn't feel sorry for you ever dresses up in a yeti costume and and razzes you all night long right when you're yeah basically (laughs) but um the first night was miserable i'm not gonna lie like i was i was so cold but i also did a lot of things uh kind of incorrectly with my clothing and like those are the tips that we learned throughout the camp was um how to do cold better and how to self-regulate better and make smart decisions and um so by the end of that camp, I learned so much just about temperature management, um, like sweat management, things, uh, tricks of the trade regarding like where to put your stuff so that it doesn't freeze and all of that. So it was really good. And then the race, the temperatures actually warmed up so much that the snow dissolved and mm-hmm. everyone ended up walking like the equivalent of a marathon within the body of that event. And so it was incredibly slow going. Um, I think my average speed was something like five miles an hour. Wow. Yeah. yeah that, that sport is, uh, you might, you might be riding on bulletproof concrete snow or you might be just riding through butter and yeah. you don't yeah. know. Um, it was crazy. You don't know what you're going to hit. And I, I feel like I can check that box as well. Yeah. I love Jay. Love Jay. Love the fat pursuit. Everyone needs to go try it. But I'm like, okay, I did the snow. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> I feel the same way. I didn't do fat pursuit. I haven't done anything that long, but I did I did a fifty mile 
mm-hmm. uh, fat bike race. And I just kind of like one of my friends was just razzing me really hard. He was like, everybody's doing it. And I got a bike for yeah. you. So I just said, fine, I'm going to go. And at the starting line, they said, these are the best conditions that we have ever seen in all mm. of our fat biking lives. It was like negative three and everything was yeah. groomed and hard pack. And I was like, well, this is it. And then I had the hardest day. Uh, and then at the end, I mean, it was great. I'm glad I did it, just like you said. But at the end, I was like, well, if that's as good as this sport gets. Right? <laughs> I check. I did the thing. And I don't need to do that anymore because it could never even be as good as that was. And that, that day wrecked me. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. kind of cool, cool, kind of weird cousin sport. Um, but like, we're not going to be hanging out much. Yeah. yeah. Talk about being wrecked. I have never been that wrecked from a 24-hour effort. Like I've done 24 hours on the road. I walk away and I'm like having drinks that night. Yeah. Wow. This, this, I don't know if it's the cold or if it's all the pushing and hike a bike um, or what, but I felt like I had been hit by a truck. Like the minute I stopped moving after that race, um, I I just like, I've I've never experienced anything like it. We're really selling it. Sorry, all those fat bike Sorry, companies Jay. out there. Um, Rodeo has no plans for a fat bike in our. I should our, really try it. Yeah, you awesome. should definitely do it. My best part of that whole thing was uh, I didn't know anything, and no one told me what to do. So I put my camel back on under my coat to keep it from mm-hmm. freezing, which I think maybe yeah. was a good idea. But I also left the lock unlocked on it, and then I emptied my camel back inside of all of my clothing while oh, I was racing. No. And then I actually had the thought like am I going to die? Like, am I going to die of hypothermia? Because I'm, it's like I just fell into a river and it's negative That's degrees awful. out. And I just kind of had this moment of like, I think maybe I'm going to die. But it was totally fine because you're so warm, even if you know, yeah. you're only going four miles an hour. Uh, did you dry yourself out? No, I don't know no, what I did. I think I just kept riding and it, it yeah, was yeah. sort of fine. Um in whatever whatever fine means. Uh, but yeah, that's another, I don't need to learn that discipline. Um, but so you came off that and um, I mean, I don't know. I, like this is where like our bike is intersecting with you, I guess. Um, yeah. But what's funny yeah. is so you, you decide your next event is Stagecoach, um, mm-hmm. which I had been hearing more and more about over the years. It's sort of mm-hmm. gaining a bigger profile. Um, and I don't, I don't really know anything about it. I know more now having just watched it happen. Um, and I've been seeing more people doing it and hearing more about sort of the course and it's got some really gnarly sections and you definitely you know, want this kind of bike, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I knew that we, where we're at as a company and in inventory, we're like, we got to build Scotty a bike, but we don't have our mountain bike yet. And yeah. we really should put her on a mountain bike, but we just straight up do not have one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we built this flanimal and I don't know, it was kind of an interesting story of us trying to basically make it as soft as possible, uh, or as adapted as a hard, rigid bike can be to this thing for you. Um, but we only got you that bike. I don't, how many days before? I got it like 10 days before I flew out. Yeah. Which is yeah. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> no big deal. And then we couldn't find an axle for the, yeah. the MRP fork, which we were going to put the MRP Baxter on it so that you would have a little bit of suspension. Um, mm-hmm. So long story short, as, as the entree into our relationship, air quotes, supporting an athlete, we basically sent you into that race uh, underbiked. Um, mm. And uh, you just kind of like, took it like a boss, but I thought that it was important to mention because, um, 
we're like the sponsor that like makes it harder for you. Um, <laughs> not, not the sponsor. <laughs> like, Is that your new slogan? <laughs> yes. We were joking yesterday about, um, you know, how companies send out, you know, branded pencils and pens. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were going to send out like an underbiked pen or pencil. Just it's like barely long enough to hold uh, or something like just to make riding hard, riding with the W harder than it needs to be. Kind of like how we make riding a bike harder than it needs to be sometimes. But anyway, um, so so tell us about Stagecoach yeah. because we don't I mean. I know how it went, but like, tell us the story of how it went and don't say anything nice. Not that there is anything nice to say, but like, we are not the, oh, the bike was great. It was perfect. Nothing. Like, I want to hear what went (laughs) wrong and like the struggles or the goods and the, you know, like what happened out there? Yeah. So just so everybody knows, I rode the Flanimal five tie and ended up running rigid fork um, because we had some issues with just getting the, the product in hand. And so I think if you were, if I was going to do it again, I would definitely take a front suspension system. Um, it was way rougher than I thought it would be. Um, but my tire choice was spot on. I was really happy. I chose Maxxis, uh, 650s and they were 2.35 tires. Mm, um, that is a tasty icons. size. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so the race takes you out of Idlewild and you do a big loop and you finish in Idlewild, which is a little mountain town. It's so beautiful up there. Um, if you ever have a chance to go, it's, it's about like 6,000 feet. So it's not super high altitude, but it's enough that you feel it if you're like me from sea level. And, um, you go from like the piney Idlewild environment through this desert as you're descending towards the coast and then you run a strip of coastline through San Diego along their bike path system. And then you go back up through the hills and up through the desert again. And then you're eventually back in the more forested area towards Idlewild. And so you go through these like extreme uh, environmental changes while you're out there and uh, coming from Arkansas where it's humid and cold, you know, we just came through winter And I think it was like 40 and raining when I left and I get out there and like the desert, I just, I hit it at the wrong time. It was like so, so hot. I got it right in the afternoon when the full sun was out. And, and so just, um, the heat adaptation was an issue for me. I actually got heat exhausted on day two, um, and ended up just, I I was a mess. Like, I don't want to go into too many details here, but like vomiting, uh, had to stop had to regulate. Yeah, but what <laughs> kind of heat are we talking about here? Because it's worth mentioning how hot it yeah, got. Yeah, so um, I think it was the combination of being sleep deprived and the heat. I've done heat. I actually handle heat typically pretty well. I've done sleep deprivation, but I've never had the two combined. And I think that was really what got me. So we this, um, this 2 to like 5 p.m. window in the desert happened when I was like 36 hours into the race already. Hadn't slept, just been pushing through the night. Um, up to that point, I felt quite good. I was like, all right, I'm tracking good. I feel good. My body, my stomach, everything was fine. And I was fine until I wasn't. And it hit me so quick and so hard. I got nauseous. Um, and I was, it was nighttime when it hit me. And I was like out in the middle of another desert section and, you know, 2020 hindsight, right? I'm looking back, like, what could I have done better? 
I realized um, I had electrolytes with me, but I'd gotten really slack about taking them. And so I was drinking water. I was just drinking water, water, water. And it wasn't sticking to me, I think. And so um, without those vital electrolytes, I basically was hyponatremic, which is mm. when you're, you know, too diluted, basically. I diluted myself to hydrate dehydration. And um, I read up a little bit about it. And basically what happens is um, when your stomach tries to digest food, if it doesn't have the right presence of water um, because your muscles are so deprived of, of vital nutrients, then it'll just eject whatever you put into your stomach. Oh, wow. Like, nope, we're not digesting right now. You can't handle that. Would salt or electrolytes have made that better? Would it have been, I don't know, what would that well, have that's, changed? That's what I had to do to get myself out of it was, um, and I actually was in a very bad place when this started happening. Um, a section called the willows that no one really told me about. I'd heard about it, but the willows are like, you're in the desert and then you suddenly you're in these reeds, like bamboo reeds on either side of you. And they're like poking and grabbing your handlebars and your pedals and everything. And you're walking in like ankle foot deep water all of a sudden. And you're like zooming in on your GPS track. Like this can't be the freaking route. Right. But it, I'm like zoomed in as close as possible, and it's the route. The water is the route. Wow. And you walk through water for, I don't know, two miles. And is you're just it like, like six inches or foot? Yeah, or? like six to, six to 12, 12 inches at the most in the deeper sections. But turns out there's a spring fed, like there's a water spring in the middle of the desert. And somebody decided that would make a great bike route. It's it's totally unrideable. It's and like so you're Nelson. Just hiking. Was Nelson? And that's involved? where I got sick. And it was like 11 p.m. So it was dark, and I was already like disillusioned and like seeing things. And I was like, I can't stop here. Like there is nowhere to stop, and I'm probably gonna get bitten by like 12 rattlesnakes if I do stop. Oh jeez. And so um, I was just like talking to myself through that whole little trek through the willows. Um, I knew there was a cabin on the other side of the willows. Um, it was in the trail notes for the race. I was like, maybe if I can get to that cabin, I can just like stow up there for a minute. And so I ended up making it there. And when I got there, like all I did for three hours, I was shaking. I was so like cold shivering that I couldn't really sleep. And even though I really needed to sleep, I just laid down and every 20 minutes I would pop a salt tablet take a little swig of water and if it stayed down i would just repeat that the next 20 minutes and so for three hours straight i was just like slow dosing myself electrolytes and finally after about three hours i got to where i was starting to nibble on food again it was staying down and i was like okay this was only like 50 miles from the finish oh, wow. i was so close to being done and just i just couldn't move <laughs> give me a pause there because that feels like where i would want to quit um, mm. just like nothing's working. And I don't mean, know, maybe the 50 miles left would be enough to keep me going. But in, in another way, it just seems overwhelming the way that you describe yeah. it. Wading through water, shivering, yeah. throwing up, can't eat, just and nothing, just nothing is working for you. And I do feel like people who are successful at this discipline have another gear in their head that, that I don't really have. Um, but like what, what gets you through, how are you able to hold on to your composure through mm -hmm. a moment like that and not let it just capsize you? I don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
The thing that I tell myself is that if I was in my Airbnb apartment at this moment, I would be feeling the exact same thing. Like there's really nothing that getting myself out of that particular environment at that particular time, it was going to change for me. So if I went home, I would literally, I would rest. I would do my ABCs, which I should have been doing all along, but just, you know, got a little loopy and lazy about it, I guess. I didn't think I needed the electrolytes because I felt fine. But I knew that that's, I, I kind of have enough experience with the sport to know that that's probably what I had done to myself. And so for me, it was just a matter of, okay, I need to, I need to do the ABCs. And then when I do that, I should be able to finish this thing. Like for me, I was never scared. I, I was never like scared that I wasn't going to be okay. It wasn't that bad. Um, it was definitely like a puke and rally moment. I call it. Um, <laughs> that needs to be on a shirt. Like, yeah. And, um, and so I don't know, like I, I like entering these race, these types of races, just thinking to myself, like I will figure it out, whatever happens. And it never goes like I think it will. And so I think having that mentality of I'm just going to figure it out when whatever that is comes is kind of what I enjoy about this whole thing. Anyway, it's like putting together the pieces of the puzzle however they're given to you, you know, and sometimes we do it to ourselves. Other times it's, it's something that we can't control like the weather or our mechanicals. And so it's just like, how am I going to get through this moment? And, um, is it, is it so singular that it's just you with yourself out there? Uh, and, and you're really, yes, you sort of started a mass start event that will somehow be ranked at the end and blah, 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 blah. And you want to, but out there in that moment, do you feel like, yeah, this is just me working mm-hmm. through my life on my own yeah. terms? Or do you feel like yeah. there, there are people coming and this is a race and I got to get my stuff <laughs> together? And like, I would be it? lying if I said I wasn't competitive. Like, I, I don't like getting past. Um, and at the same time, someone was there when I was sick and it was a really like nice thing not not nice to be seen in that moment but I didn't even know he was there I had I had caught up to a racer who had flatted didn't know he was there was puking my guts out and a headlight like shines on me and he's like are you okay definitely not (laughs) and I kind of it kind of startled me because I hadn't seen him yet but his name's Jesse he's super nice guy he'd had some bad luck with his tire right around the time that my my health just like flipped upside down and I was really kind of glad that Jesse was there in that moment because, um, one, he knew where the Willow Trailhead was because <laughs> it's kind of a bitch to get to it. Got it. And um, so, like, he really helped me in that moment, um, whether he knows it or not, um, just having, like, another human life there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, someone knows I'm here. Yeah. And they know I'm about to die, right? <laughs> so, um Anyway, uh, but once, once, yeah, I went my own way and Jesse continued to struggle with his, uh, mechanical that he was having. And, um, yeah, I, I really do enjoy the problem solving piece of bike packing, um, by myself. It's, um, I used to get really, really frustrated when stuff like that would happen. And sometimes I still do. Cause you know, you, you're like, this is urgent. I have a time clock. I'm trying to race here. But at the same time, like that's that's kind of why I go do it is to to be patient because if I can learn it there, then I can bring it home. 
and I can be patient with my boys and I can be patient with Ernie and patient with the people that I work with every day. And it, it really does become kind of a more of a um, mental practice, you know? Mm. So you, you did it, your ABCs, mm. you rebounded from that low, low and just, just get back on and 50 miles, no big deal. And yeah, voila. it was a long 50. Yeah. So how does that, how does it, how does it come back to you when you go that low? Is it just, yeah, I was really, really slow. Um, I stuff that I would normally, I would say ride. I was hiking, biking because I just didn't have the strength. Like I was running on empty from lack of sleep and from now lack of calories. I was just really, really low on energy. Um, and like the last 15 miles were pavement or like 20, maybe I was like, if I can just get to that pavement, <laughs> I can just go into my mode. Cause mm. I had arrow bars, um, on the, on the flanimal and a lot of people that bike pack, they're like, Oh, I hated the pave section. I love the pave sections. Cause I can just turn on my roadie brain again and I can just get on my arrow bars and I can just go. Yeah. And, um, to get to those last 20 miles was pretty slow. And, um, it was like heaven when I got on the pavement. I just climbed my way back to the finish on the road. <laughs> just turned on some loud, loud music in my headphones and, and just, you know, went from there. Nice. Nice. What's a, yeah. uh, what's a track? You gotta, you gotta drop, you gotta give us a song for this moment. Mm. You know what I'm really into right now is Alt J. Okay. Mm. We gotta put that in the episode notes. Love those guys. That. All right. Love those guys. Um, their music is kind of different and ethereal, and their lyrics are very deep. And so before I go, I kind of make myself a little bit of a playlist um, just that kind of helps me check out mentally. And I feel like their music's really good for that. If you listen to one of these songs later, will it take you back to that moment in the race? Totally. Yeah. I, and I love that about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ernie and I have uh, <laughs> kind of when we were doing the pair stuff, we would always pick a song together, and we would even coordinate. There, there is a Silk Road dance out there that you will have to find. <laughs> that <right>. Ernie and I <laughs> choreographed in front of the Kyrgyzstan like national flag, and it sounds so cheesy, but um, like in the race when we would play that song it like meant something and so i truly do believe that music can really like bring that energy back and so if i'm really struggling i will just crank up the volume and kind of take myself out of my you know body feels and into a more <laughs> other space a different so plane. i can definitely do that well cool and you made it i mean i remember all of a sudden you know seeing some photos of you finishing and it was like mm. wow um, even with that setback, you put up a, an amazing time. And I mean, how does that feel? I mean, you, you know, you won your category, you set a new fastest time and, mm -hmm. um, you know, like a fourth overall, uh, of all the people that entered, like, is that just icing on the cake for you? Is it more about, you know, is it both or are you like, yeah, I did this for me and I'm happy with what I did. And then, oh yeah, this whole other level is great. Or how do you process the competitive part of it into the yeah, part. so um, for me, yeah, I didn't go to get get the result. Um, and so when I crossed the finish line and I'd gotten through something that was really just freaking hard, <laughs> you know, I, I've done some hard stuff. I mean, 
having twins was way harder, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of tops the charts for me. And so if I can get through these like singular um, kind of shorter lived moments, it's like, it's, it's so rewarding just to step through that door and be like, okay, I, I did that and I came through it and now I have some notes on what I would change. Like that's the first place I go actually. I'm like, oh, I would do this so differently if I did it again. Yeah. And I don't know why that's like the thing that I think about as I'm driving home. Um, I'm kind of weird like that. I've always been kind of hard on myself and Ernie um, has had to work on that with me. He's like, you need to celebrate when you have this high moment um, and, and feel good about yourself. But what I typically do is I think about like what I would change and how I would, how I would make the mistakes that I made better. Mm. And I don't know why I'm just wired that way. Um, But it, it of course feels good to come through something that hard and just get to the other side. And, and then, you know, the the second female was not very far behind me. Um, I lost a lot of time when I got sick, and she was gaining hard. Yeah. And so it was kind of fun there at the finish. Like I was fourth overall, and she was fifth overall. And so there were two women in the top five, and I was like, "That's that's pretty freaking rad, actually. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen all that often." And so just to see that, um, like the women's community is is really pushing themselves, and I think almost on an equal playing field. Like the longer the race gets, it seems the more we can be there. And so that's been kind of fun. Yeah. I love that. This seems really cool about this genre to see Mm -hmm. these really amazing finishes and um, just like the, there's so much more, the, there's more depth to the competition. There's more dimension to uh, the different skills. Uh, and, and this different strengths that you're going to have as a female that are yeah. so much more relevant to the discipline than, you know, what the guys come at it with. And, uh, it's, yeah, I love that. Um, and yeah, it's, and there's so much to learn there. Like, you know, I'm like, I just kind of like want to say like, how do you get so mentally strong, Scotty? Cause like not, not something that's built into me like it is to you. So to me, it's kind of this mystery uh-huh. that's really fun to just kind of ponder. Yeah. And it hasn't always been built in me either. And I think that's worth saying. It's like, I don't think, I don't, maybe some people do come that way. I don't know. For me, it's, it's been a very, very purposeful, like journey to, to get to the person that I want to be when I step out to do something hard. And it actually happens with more off the bike application than on. Hmm. Um, And that's something that I really put as a big goal for my life when I left the road scene because I hadn't focused on personal development very much. I'd been doing all the homework on the bike, but I feel like it's the off the bike stuff that really, um, over time and like dedication <laughs> pays forward. Yeah. yeah. I think from a, like a retrospective perspective, um, you know, you, you said, starting out, you know, with Silk Road in 2019 to Stagecoach 400 in 2022, you know, you kind of jumped into it and you kind of got some feedback of like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm not mentally tough. But I think everything you've described shows a lot of growth and that, 
you can build a, you know, bike packing as a genre is interesting because it is, you know, it's the physical, there's the technical skills, but then there's like the mental of like, mm-hmm. you know, starting out as a pair, but then most recently, you know, in stagecoach, having to kind of reel yourself back and kind of nurse yourself back to health of like, I think that shows, you know, some really interesting mental growth of like, how do you process, you know, yourself when you're in those depths and how do you, how do you unwind yourself to get across the finish line? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I can see it. And, and so I guess I'm just really curious, you know, obviously there's the bike you have, you know, the, you know, the two kids and three businesses, like what is the next challenge? Like, where are you going next? You know? (laughs) Um, it's so funny you say that because I feel like my life is very full to the point that it's about to bust right now. So um, the challenge for me would be to be the best I can be in those applications without actually adding more onto my plate. I think it's I think it's time, the time in my life where it's okay to say no to some things and to, to really um, be very sure and very... Um, like pointed about where I put my energy now. And so that's kind of the stage of life that I'm in is we've been like building, 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 pushing, pushing, pushing. And there's so much beauty in just the ordinary stuff. And I feel like when we make ourselves so busy, sometimes I forget to do like the things that are, are really, really just in essence and by themselves good enough to be fulfilling. And I was thinking about that today. I was out on my bike and I'm still not quite like a hundred percent after the race, but I, I'm like, I need to train for unbound. Right. That's like my next thing, even though it's a couple months away here, I am like one week off a race and I'm already like thinking about that. I'm like, let's just slow down. (laughs) Do you ever have a phenomenon where, um, like you have a weekend where you don't do any bike stuff uh, or anything high achieving and it just feels like the biggest luxury in the world to be a, yeah. n- a normal person. Uh, yeah. And my I know. family forces me to do that mm-hmm. um, because they're normal people uh, and I'm weird. Uh, so uh, them causing me to do that, just like sleeping all the way in on Saturday and yeah. then just having this two hour breakfast experience. Yeah. And then it's just like, what are we doing today? And it's so such an exhale from the mm-hmm. gotta keep pushing, gotta keep pushing, gotta keep pushing, gotta keep pushing. And yeah. I almost don't know how to do it, um, but they force me to. And then when mm-hmm. I do it, it feels like, wow, this is what the rest of the <laughs> the rest of the world experiences <laughs> this on weekends. Have <laughs> an event or something. So, yeah, yeah, the ebb and flow I of that know. tide. Yeah, it's cool. There's that's so necessary though, like. And it, it, I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I have trouble slowing down and I almost feel guilty, like not doing, but it's so critical for me to, to take those moments for sure. And, um, just to reset mentally. And I've actually had to be a lot more strategic about making sure that that time does get actually scheduled in my calendar. I was looking at our calendar and either like Ernie's gone or I'm gone or we have an event or it's just like insanity this spring I went on like the two weekends that we don't have something between now and June and I blocked them I was like we cannot add we are not adding to this and so um 
I feel like you do have to be intentional because um, I know Stephen, like you've you've built Rodeo Labs, and it's so easy to get into that like creative builder mode where you're just like go go go, and you're growing and you're developing product, and yeah. But stepping back is when you kind of like get the energy to keep going. So yeah, yeah. and I don't I don't want I don't want my singular identity to be bikes. Um, yeah. Bikes, bikes, bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just putting that on a shelf and just saying that's something that I do. That's part of who I am. It's always probably going to be there as long as I'm able to do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to experience other life from other angles or just stop and appreciate what the people who are in my life, what their angle looks like and join them in that instead of. Yeah. Does everybody want to go on a bike ride with me this afternoon? No, nobody wants to ride with you, Dad. But they would like to play tennis. Um, and would you join them in their sport? Uh, and it's like, yeah, yeah, okay. I need to be a tennis player. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and then that's also fun. So yeah, yeah, totally. I feel you. <laughs> so you've, you do have well, you've got you've got some downtime and some weekends and plenty of time to train. And you have sort of Unbound XL coming. And I know you're yeah. signed up for Silk Road again. What's yeah. the like, what's the, I don't know, creative brief to yourself for, for both of those experiences? Like, what's the, the, the reason to go? Um, just, mm-hmm. You know, can you do it? Can you do it better? Can you do it in a way that makes yourself happier? Are you going to be hyper competitive? Um, what do you yeah. look for? I think, honestly, the short answer to that is um, I've gotten so addicted to the growth that I experience when I go and do these things. Mm. Um <laughs> And part of it is a little bit selfish, like that it's for me. But I've also realized that doing it for me also helps me become a better person for other people. Um, I've kind of 180 on my philosophy on how I coach, um, you know, with our athletes. I um, have changed the way I parent. Uh, It's like radically flipped me around in a better way. Um, And so... Really, I I look to these kind of races to go and just play with life experience. You know, like it's a parallel for me. Um, and I will absolutely push my own limits because I know that like riding that line is where I, that's where I grow the most out of it. But um, it's really just like that there's no ceiling to the possible you know, growth that you can experience when you go and you do these things, you know, you're in an amazing culture, you're, um, you know, in an environment you're not normally in and you just like your eyes open a little bit more. And I love that about, about bikes. You know, I feel like that's, but cycling is kind of an international language there and it, it really has the ability to transcend some barriers. So, um, yeah, it's been cool because it, it's become a big push for me to, yes, I need to go do this thing like to satisfy my soul and to give me that sense of adventure. And then I come home and I get to share it with my community and encourage the athletes that we coach and my children. And it just, it seems to have a wider spread effect than just me. And I feel like that kind of makes me feel like I'm in the right vein right now. Sounds like a good spot to be yeah Um, we're gonna we're gonna be there um when are we gonna be there rule of three we're gonna we're gonna dive bomb so natural state rock and republic is your 
how would you describe it? It's I guess it's a, a BNB, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, at, it's on Airbnb, and yeah. it's it's a cycling specific guest house. You don't have to be a cyclist to come here, but if you are, like you'll have a great place to stow your bike, wash your bike. We're directly on the Razorback Greenway, um, right between Fayetteville, which is where they hosted the Cyclocross World Championships. And then we're halfway to Bentonville, which is where all the mountain bike scene is happening. And so we're kind of right in the middle in Springdale and kind of positioned to take off by bike, uh, you know, anywhere you want to go. So yeah, we're excited. It's, been, it's been a cool project. I stayed in the library. Just want everyone to know that that can be this, this, <laughs> the uh, Steve, the intern suite. Um, and yeah, I don't know what we got this time, but there's, uh, I know Drew, Cameron and myself are coming and Cameron's coming to rule of three to not ride rule of three. He just wants to come experience the mountain bike trails because he's a mountain. Cool. Biker. He works here. Uh, and then Drew and I are going to do it. Um, and we're nice. honestly a little bit intimidated because when you, you think it's going to be super fun, then you look at that course and uh, that is no joke. That's hundred miles and 10,000 feet of climbing. Um, so <laughs> that's going to be a bit of a, a whooping, but at least yeah. we will, we will return to a beautiful bed and breakfast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You can have a clawfoot tub soap yes, when you get exactly. back. Exactly. <laughs> some Epsom salts. Uh, yeah. And you're, you're going to be there, Nick. You're, yeah, you, you're staying at a different Airbnb, I think. I but... couldn't tell if it was dog friendly. So I've, I scooped up another place. Oh yes. oh okay. yeah. We, yeah, it's a historic home and we've decided no pets is best for it, but I totally feel you with the dog thing. I understand. Well, yeah. at least you'll be there. So I'll, I'll be there. So we can all meet in person. Yeah, yeah. we can do a post-Rule yeah. of Three um, dissection of what went wrong. Uh, yeah. What went wrong at Rule of Three? Look for that podcast in a few minutes. <laughs> I'm sure a lot will go wrong, particularly <laughs> my lack awesome. of training. <laughs> what are you going to ride, Stephen? Uh, I don't think it really matters. I mean, uh, the Donkey or the Flanimal, they're kind of, for that race, yeah. kind of the same bike. Uh, yeah. I heard it's like a... I don't know, 40, 45 millimeter tire. There's a ton of road and it goes really fast and you don't really mm-hmm. make or lose a bunch of time on the trails. Am I getting this right? Um, and then there's a bunch of really brutal climbs at the end that sort of finish you off. So have good granny <laughs> gear. Uh, are you doing it? I thought about it, but I can only like go so deep before doing something like Unbound, which is just a couple weeks later. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, it's funny as I'm signed up for Unbound and that. and um, You are? I didn't even realize it when I did it. And so people say, are you, you know, are you going to Unbound or are you going to this race? And at this point, I'll sign up for them. And then I'll decide later if I'm doing yeah. them. Because <laughs> you can't decide three weeks before a race anymore if you want to mm-hmm. do it. You have to no. decide like nine months ago. You got to commit uh, like yeah, two years in advance. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm signed up for both. Have not talked to my wife about two almost consecutive race weekends away. Probably yeah. only one. But if I can only do one, I'll do rule of three because mm. I've had the unbound experience a number of times. Okay. And um, I just like to try new things, kind of like how you you know, did high, high country and you want to see some other things. Um, yeah. I need to soak up some more Northwest Arkansas. Um, and, and see it's gonna some, be awesome. some people. Either there. way, I'll be around. Cool. Well, we're looking forward to that. Uh, and then, yeah, well, I mean, hope you know, we, we will we will be leaning into getting you better and better gear for your for your Woo-hoo! subsequent events. <laughs> <laughs> we in the next round of show pony prototypes. Uh, yes. You'll definitely have that. Um, Can't and wait. Um, I don't know. I know donkeys on the menu. If we can get frame sets in time, because you want to ride nice. a donkey at Unbound, so that would be awesome. Um, yeah, they're 
that's all on my personal wish list. That's a whole other episode about what it is these days to actually just get our customers and our yeah. athletes the gear that they've been waiting for or need. At the, yeah. But um, anyway, we're excited that, you know, you chose to want to, you know, be on a rodeo bike where I feel like you can have your pick of whatever you want at this point. Well, so it was. So I'm cool. excited. I'm stoked on it. Cool. Um, and then for, for Atlas, which, which one did you pick? October or February? I chose February because. Oh, right. Okay. So last year when we finished Silk Road, I feel like I needed like a month to recover from that. And then after that month, I was not mentally like geared up to go do it again. And so (laughs) I think I need some space between those. Nelson makes really hard races. He does. Um, that are pretty, they'll beat you up a little bit. So, and nothing against Atlas Mountain Race in October, but it hit like a hundred. And there was a heat wave when it was supposed to be yeah, scheduled last, last October, October. It would have been over 110 degrees Fahrenheit Ooh. during the race. Yeah. But the February, I just feel like, is the perfect time to do something mm-hmm. there because you're coming off of the winter into the warmer months. Whereas in October, you're coming off the warmer months. And yeah. starting to cool down, but you still it could be a different stuff. game. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know how you rode in 110 degree heat in California, but I couldn't do that. Yeah, so yeah. I'd call that right there. I'd hide under a rock. So. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for taking time and and sharing some stories me. and experiences, mm-hmm. and we look forward to I don't know, just kind of watching, hearing, you know, more about what you're up to, the, the events that you do, stories that you bring home afterwards, and. Um, and then, you know, we always get this back channel, things we can make better about the things that we're working on here from the people yeah. who ride them harder than we do. So that's always a really cool thing. So <laughs> that's um, awesome. all you have to do is just tell us great things nonstop. And you're just like, oh, the bike was perfect. It's great. Don't change anything ever. <laughs> no, don't do that. So cool. It rides. Well, hey, it um, rides. sorry we missed Ernie. Uh, we, we, we sort of had a YOLO, like maybe we should jump on a plane for 48 hours and go to Sea Otter because Apparently, mm. a lot of people are going this year. Um, yeah, we're it's not, gonna be big. We're not either, but we just get asked daily if we're you know if we're going. Uh, which mm-hmm. so I hope he enjoys that with the juniors. And yeah, coaching, he's so. like living the dream. He's wanted to have a junior development team for years, so oh. this is something really cool for him to get to do. He's got the personality for it. I'm sure he's taught mm-hmm. them all how to fix their own chains. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's playing a lot of roles. Mechanic, one of them. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I feel like we. But you, I don't know how you kept the boys that quiet. Um, so obviously you're winning it. Did you see me hit mute a few times and be like, <laughs> I saw the TV turn on behind you. And I wondered if we were about to get like a show. Like, yeah. I gave him the mom. eye like, that was times. great. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of caught a little mom. eye, and I was mm-hmm. like, what did I do wrong? Um, so I'm glad that was for the boys. <laughs> yeah. Cool. They were good though. Well, thanks again. And, uh, enjoy your recovery and don't hit it too hard too soon. Yeah, uh, for sure. Rest up and Thank enjoy. You. Have a great Thank have a great week. And we'll see you, you in about a month, right? Oh yeah. Man, I don't rule even look three. at the calendar. It's not that far out. Let's right? call it two. Oh yeah, for rule of three. Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh yeah. Wow. What's coming up? We should start writing. What are bikes again? <laughs> is this a podcast about bikes? <laughs> My training right. is terrible. We'll see you in a bit. Have a great one. Scotty. <laughs> Bye guys.
podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience.